Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, your what? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Before we go forward, let's think about the people who are originally being written to in this context. Paul is writing to the Romans. It is a Roman church of Gentile and Jewish believers. Paul did not start this church. Someone else started this church. But he's writing to them, and they have an understanding of what sacrifices are. When we think about sacrifice, we think about, you know, the extra effort we may do and put things aside in order to help someone or serve God. That's kind of our modern idea of what it does it mean to sacrifice. But that's not the phraseology Paul is using here. This is an ancient time. This is 2,000 years ago where sacrifices were actually offered in the temple, where they'd bring a calf or a goat or some type of animal or some type of offering, and it would be presented before the living God in the temple in Jerusalem or to false gods in other temples and places and other religions at the time. And so they had a concept of what it means to put something on the altar and leave it there. Because what happens is they didn't, you know, oh, I brought my offering, priest. Let me take it back home. They would put it on the altar and what? It's not I promise you it's not a trick question. Let's try it again. They would put it on the altar and what? So how many know it, they, the priest would have looked at them sideways if they put it on the altar, presented it, and said, okay, now we're going back home. Paul said, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. So when you put yourselves on the altar, it doesn't mean, okay, I'm dead, I'm gone, I'm going to heaven. No, you got to stay alive. You know, to quote Hamilton in a scene with George Washington and Alexander Hamilton, he says, you have dreams of dying on the field in glory. He says, yes. He says, dying is easy, young man. Living is harder. Because people get caught up, and I've talk to people that say, well, I want to be a martyr for Christ, and it's honor for those who are martyrs. But that's not the whole body of Christ. Because dying for him takes one decision. Living for him takes multiple decisions every single hour. And depending on the pressure, minute, second, you have to put yourself on the altar and leave yourself there. Say, put yourself on the altar. And don't take yourself off just because it's Monday. Or just because it's not popular. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or your worship service. If you want to worship God every single day, it's more than a song, and God does appreciate your song. It's how you live. It's an offering before God. And be not conformed to this world, 
Now, when he's talking about the world, he's not talking about the earth. He's talking about the systems of this world. And the systems of this world are backed by demonic powers. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says Satan is the God, lowercase g, of this world, of this world's systems. When Adam and Eve fell, they handed over their authority and their dominion to Satan. And Satan decreed that all men must die. And he was ruling the world through fear. And the fear specifically of death. Jesus came, tells us in 1 John, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's what we celebrated last week. The word destroy there means to loosen, which means at any time you can shake off the devil. He does not have more power than you. He's not even in your class. Believer, when you are born again, you are born again into the God class. You are born again from the incorruptible seed of the word of God, Peter says. The incorruptible seed of the word of God. Who is the word? Jesus. So that means you have the same spiritual DNA on the inside as Jesus. And how many know Jesus is greater than Satan? It's not even a contest. So if Jesus can beat the devil, and he did, you're, def- you're facing a defeated foe. Your Jesus already won you a victory. You're supposed to enforce it in your everyday life. And so don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How are you transformed? By the renewing of your mind. Now, I know there's old religious songs that people like to sing. It's like, I went to the altar and I felt brand new. My eyes did, my hands did, my weave did, my feet did too. You got all these things you like to celebrate. But when you got saved, your body didn't change. Your spirit did. Your spirit is what gets born again. You are a tripart being. You are a spirit. You have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and the control center of your emotions. And you live in this physical body. Your body didn't get saved. It didn't. Neither did your mind. So that means you can have believers behaving badly. They get saved. They're on the way to heaven, but their conduct is a mess. And so he's saying, how do you change your conduct? How do you change your life? By the renewing of your mind. That word renew is to renovate. When you renovate, you take out the old and you put in the new. So that means you got to renovate your thinking. Well, pastor, I grew up in church. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad, but does it mean that your thinking is right? Because when you look at it, depending on the church you went to, you know, some denominations, you're there for an hour on Sunday. Some two hours. Some, well, all day. But even if you went to a denomination where you were there all day, that's just one day out of seven. And more things have an, have an impact on your thinking than just one day out of the week. So that means this is a continual process because there's things trying to get in our mind on a continual basis. And so that means we have to renew our mind on a regular basis. Why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Amplified Classic Edition says it this way. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, 
that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Another translation, the message version says it this way. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into without even thinking. Well, I'm going to say that again. It's just, just whoo. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture. Do it for the culture. Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait. Back to scripture, scripture. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So one of the things you're going to have to resist is the culture around you. Now, not everything in the culture is bad, but there's some things that are. And we have to make sure we live for the kingdom more than we live for the culture. We have to make sure we live for his kingdom more than we live for the culture. And the only way we can determine the difference is by the word of God. Now, one of the things we have a habit of doing as Americans is a lot of times we substitute Americana for the gospel. We believe because it's part of our American culture, and American culture does have strong Judeo-Christian background in it, we think everything we do must be from the Bible, and it's not true. Some is, some not. You quote a wise saying, and they think it's from the book of Proverbs, but it's actually Ben Franklin. So that means we have to analyze everything we do, everything we see, everything we think, everything we hear on the news, everything we hear from influencers on Instagram, everything that comes at us, does it line up to the word of God? Because there are people today, and there's always been people like this, who will always try to discredit the word of God. But if we call ourselves believers, if we call ourselves Christians, then we need to believe the book and act like it. We need to live this thing, not cherry pick. Ooh, when I'm sad, God will help me. When I'm broke, God will provide. But when he says, be nice, mm, Jesus. When he says, forgive, nah, I don't feel like doing that. When he says, don't sleep around, hey, hey, don't you, hey, 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 God, get out of my bedroom, Jesus, get out. Well, John 17. Well, John 17. God has a standard, and you know that standard from the word of God. And one of the things we say very frequently around here is that you're never under obligation to receive the word from a preacher if they can't prove it to you from the book. No matter how charismatic and gifted they are, how big they smile, or how good their clothes look, or whatever, if they can't prove it to you from the word of God, you're under no obligation to receive it, which means you have to be in the word for yourself. 
And as you're in the word for yourself, you must rightfully divide the word of truth. If you can rightfully divide it, you can wrongfully divide it. And one of the things you have to understand, as you rightfully divide it, you have a new covenant. You're not under the old covenant. The law has nothing to do with you. Now, yes, we can read the Old Testament and learn from its wisdom and understand because there's some things prophesied in the Old Testament that haven't come to pass yet, but that are in our immediate future. So, yes, the Old Testament is a blessing to us today. But when we consider the law, the law of Moses, not just the Ten Commandments, but also the 613 ordinances, we're not under that. Well, how am I supposed to live the New Testament? Especially the letters. It tells you what to do and what not to do. And so if you're a person you just got saved last week or you got saved this week, where should you start? The New Testament and starting the letters. It will show you what to do, how to live, how to act, how to talk under the New Covenant, the New Testament realities of what's available to you. Hebrews chapter 8 says it this way, we have a better covenant based on better promises. Now, why is the new covenant better than the old? The new has all the good of the old plus all the good of the new. So we must rightfully divide and say, okay, who is the Bible talking to here? Because all the Bible is for the church, but not all the Bible is about the church. There are three groups of people on the earth. Paul lists them in 1 Corinthians. They're the Jews. They have a covenant with God. They're the Gentiles, Gentiles also called the nations. And then there's the church of God. God has separate dealings with all three different groups. But because you are part of the church, not a local church body, but as believers in Jesus, you have a special relationship with God and a special covenant with God. That your covenant is not dependent on your actions. It's dependent on the action of Jesus and the finished work of Jesus. And you get into this covenant by your faith in him. So even as I talk about some stuff you should and shouldn't do, this doesn't affect your salvation. It doesn't affect how much God loves you. But because God loves you, he does expect you to act a certain way. And he says, oh, God's just trying to kill my fun. No, he knows enough that if you keep going down this path and doing these things, you're going to end up in a world of heartache and destruction. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Notice what Jesus said, starting with verse 15. He says, I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them, guard them, protect them from the evil. Emphasis the evil that's in the world. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Pause and think about that. So we celebrate every Christmas how Jesus was born into this earth, born of a virgin. He's the son of God. He came from heaven, right? We would really say, yep, Jesus is not of the world, right? We could see that, right? But Jesus said, just like I'm not of this place, they're not of this place. Just like I'm not of the world systems, they are not of the world systems. So, Father, I'm not praying that you take them out. I pray that you protect them from the evil that's in the systems. That means the same way that God protected Jesus on earth, God will protect you. 
He said, well, Jesus died. No, no, no. They didn't kill Jesus. They didn't murder Jesus. Jesus offered himself. Jesus said, you can only do this because we're allowing it. At any time, I can call 12 legions of angels and take all y'all down. Not 12 angels, 12 legions of angels. One angel in the Old Testament took out 125,000 people. Imagine what 12 legions can do. And Jesus told his disciples, I'm laying down my life and I'm going to pick it back up again. He says, this is what they're going to do to me. But on the third day, I'm going to get back up. And so before then, you have to understand, people try to kill Jesus often. Read the gospel accounts. They would try to stone him. They try to throw him off the cliff. They try to do a lot of things on a regular basis. But they couldn't touch him. The darkness could not comprehend the light. There were times you read the account that Jesus just walked through them. And some people say, oh, they just suddenly respected him. You don't suddenly respect a dude you're trying to throw off the cliff. It's like, oh, no, we changed our mind. Go ahead and walk. That doesn't happen. So she just passed through the midst of them. Or in other times, Jesus was in a crowd, and they're picking up stones to take him, and all of a sudden, he disappeared from their sight. It's like, well, where did he go? Come on, Jesus had this down before Batman. What happened? God protected him. And God can do and will do the same for you. Because you're in this world, but you're not of it. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Say, God's word is truth. Go ahead and put it in the chat. God's word is truth. So instead of agreeing with culture, we need to make sure we agree with the word of God. Instead of always agreeing with the culture, we need to make sure we agree with the Word of God. Just because it's culturally correct or politically correct doesn't mean it's scripturally correct. Just because it's culturally correct or politically correct does not mean it's scripturally correct. And we don't change the truth just because somebody don't like it. We don't change the truth just because somebody don't like it. Somebody may not like gravity, but how many know that exists? Gravity offends me. Well, it's still gravity. The truth is still the truth. We don't change the truth just because somebody doesn't like it or because cultural standards have changed. Now, we should think about how we present the truth. Just because the truth doesn't mean we can act a hot mess. And we should always think how we present the truth. It does tell us to speak the truth in love. Don't just speak truth to power. Speak the truth in love. So there's ways we present it, but it does not change the truth. The truth is still the truth. Say the truth is still the truth. No matter who doesn't like it. See, Proverbs 30 verse 12 says, There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet it's not washed from their filthiness. And so there are people who will swear up and down they are clean. And there's nothing wrong with the way they're living. But they're absolutely filthy. Come on, we see it with little kids. They play outside, they come inside, and they're ready to eat. Say, oh, no, no, go wash up first. What, I'm not dirty. Yes, you are. 
Just because you don't realize it at this point of your development doesn't mean you're not. And to borrow some cultural phrases, like, yeah, you smell earthy. There's so many people who live earthy and think they're clean. And when the truth says no. Now, here's something else you have to do. You have to agree with the truth, even if your living doesn't line up. You need to agree with the truth, even if right now your living doesn't line up. Because when you read through the word of God, there are different times. Sometimes it'll comfort you. Other times it'll encourage you. Other times it will slap you. And you can have at that moment. Mm. What am I going to do about that? Because that's just the opposite of what I just did literally less than five minutes ago. So either I'm going to ignore it, pretend I didn't see it, or disagree with it, so oh, they just missed it on that part. Or I said, you know what? I agree with this. Even before my life has changed, I agree. If God said it's right, now I might have a lot of work to do, but I choose to believe that God knows more than me. We live in a culture where we think we can rewrite the Bible and know more than God. That is the essence of pride. Humility is yielding to God's word and God's way. Humility is not thinking you're some lowly, unworthy, warm, and no one is deserving of your whatever and all this religiosity you can come up with. That's not humility, because you can act like that and be full of pride. Humility is yielding to God's word and God's way and having God's perspective of the matter. Even if your culture and your flesh and your background disagree. Even if your life experience at this point disagree. But you look at the word and say, you know what? The word is right. Go to James chapter 4 verse 7. James chapter 4 verse 7. We're still talking about joining the resistance. We just have to lay some groundwork first. James chapter 4. And we'll start with verse 6. But he gives more grace, thank God. Wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. And so you make the decision, he's like, you know what? Even though my living is not lining up with the way it should, God is right. I yield to his way. Father, help me to do what is right. You're putting yourself in a position to receive more grace. Grace is over 21 different definitions in the word of God, and one of those definitions is divine assistance. Help. He will help you. Nowhere in this Christian walk are you supposed to achieve behavior modification by yourself. You're not in this by yourself. Once you're born again, you were stopped being by yourself. The greater one, the Holy Spirit, moved in on the inside of you. Notice what it says next. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Yield to what he has to say. Do what he has to say. Do what he tells you to do. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit. Yield to God's will. Yield to God's word. Yield to God's plan for your life. Believe what he has to say about the matter. Resist means to withstand, stand against, oppose, set yourself against. The word resist means to withstand, to stand against, oppose, 
and set yourself against. And he will flee from you. That word, of course, means flee away. It means to seek safety by flight. It means to escape. Which means when we resist the devil and when he flees, he's looking for safety. He's looking for an escape. Come on, that implies stark terror and panic if you're running from someone and trying to escape. But let's dive into the scripture a little more. Resist the devil. It's hard to resist someone when you agree with their lifestyle. It's hard to resist the devil if you agree with his lifestyle. Because if you're living like him, talking like him, acting like him, you ain't resisting. And maybe the devil's not running from you because instead of you resisting, you open the door and say, come on, move in. Maybe there's some things you haven't overcome yet because you've agreed with the enemy. And so you have to understand the enemy's slick. He doesn't always just come out blatantly and let you know it's him. He'll put on a different face. Well, what face will he put on, pastor? Whichever one you accept. So it has to, if it's your same skin color, he'll do that. If it's the opposite sex, he'll do that. If it's someone coming from an intellectual standpoint, he'll do that. If it's some entertainment or artist coming from a cultural standpoint that you'll get, he'll do that. He'll work to get into a way that you come into agreement with. So the substance of the matter cannot be determined by the presentation, by what is presented. And you must measure everything that's presented by the word of God. There are too many things we've allowed to come into our lives because it's part of our culture or our subculture or how you were raised or how your background was. We have to make a decision that all those things are far seconds to the word of God. Now we give honor and place to the word. The word is more weighty in our lives than these other things. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. To join the resistance, you will have to make a stand against the enemy. To join the resistance, you will have to make a stand against the enemy. Often it may make you seem like an alien to the culture. But remember, you're in this world, but you're not of it. And even if there's pressure applied to you because you just won't go with the way the world goes, you still have to make a stand and live for God anyways. Go to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Now, we looked at Daniel chapter 3 last week about Daniel's three friends, but let's look at the first chapter of them in Daniel chapter 1. As I shared last week, you know, a lot of times when we read things in the Bible, we think that all these people in the Bible, they're older and have long gray beards and they're all 80 and 90. But that's not every character. When you're looking through the Bible, these are people who are from various age ranges and backgrounds. And when you talk about Daniel and his three friends, we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were taken from their homeland by the forces of Babylon, they were 15. They were sophomores in high school. 
And as sophomores in high school, they had already decided back in Judah to live for God, even when the Judean culture was turning against God. The Babylonian forces took them to a new land, and now they're in a new land, in a new culture, with a new language, a new surrounding place they've never been before, and have to make a decision again to stand for God. They're 15. And notice what happens in Daniel chapter 1, verse 4. Actually, we'll look at chapter, verse 5. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. So this is an extreme version of a foreign exchange program, except Daniel and his three friends did not have a choice in the matter. So what Babylon would do is they would go into these nations and find the smartest, the best looking, those who, the young people who they thought they could train in Babylonian ways so they could be a benefit to the empire. And Daniel and his three friends were part of that category and they brought them back and set them in these positions and now they have three years to learn all the Babylonian culture, the language, the mathematics, the science, all the education from Babylon. So by the time they're 18, 19, they stand before the king and the king makes the final decision about where they're gonna work in the empire. And so with that, they're expected to act like Babylonians, to adjust to the Babylonian culture, talk like them, eat like them. And so they brought all this food in front of Daniel and his three friends, but the food and the wine which they brought were against what God told them to do, how God told them to live. And so they made a decision, you know what, we're not going to compromise. We're not going to even eat the food we're not supposed to, much less everything else that Babylon's doing. And so, when you learn about this, let's skip down a little bit more. Because it says in verse 8 this way. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested to the prince of the eunuchs, his government official, that he might not defile himself. Now, one of the things you learn in verse 9 is that God gave Daniel favor. God gave Daniel favor. When you make a stand for God, expect supernatural assistance. When you make a stand for God, expect supernatural assistance. And so Daniel and his three friends go and talk to this government official and said, hey, here's what we want. We don't want to eat the king's food and the wine which he brought. Just give us vegetables. How many high schoolers do you know who says, you know what, we're going to put all this other food aside. Just give us vegetables. I wasn't one of those high schoolers. Maybe one of you were. <laughs> That's not my story. And so the government official says, why should I just give you vegetables? Because at the end of this three years, you're going to look famished. Everybody else is going to look good. The king's going to ask me why y'all look horrible, and then he's going to chop my head off. Why? Should I change the policy because of your request? You have to understand the favor of God will cause policies to be changed for your benefit. And Daniel said, just test it out. Give us 10 days. And then you examine all of us after 10 days. And if we look better than the rest, then guess what? Let us do what we want to do. He said, I'll give you a 10-day challenge. And at the end of 10 days, 
Daniel and his three friends eating only vegetables were healthier and fitter than everybody else who was eating the same thing the king ate, which was supposed to be the best Babylon had to offer. And so when the government official saw that, he says, fine, take away all this stuff. Give them exactly what they want. Now, you have to think, well, what had to get involved in their systems to make sure they stood out more than everybody else in the examination and testing process? Whatever had to happen, happened because they made a stand for God. When you make a stand for God, expect supernatural assistance. Then after the three years, the king tested everybody and saw that Daniel and his three friends were smarter, not only than just their classmates, but smarter, ten times smarter than their instructors. And all of the king's advisors and astrologers. He's like, these four dudes, who now at this point, 18, 19, are smarter than everybody who works for me. So I'm keeping them close. I'm promoting them and keeping them close for the sake of my kingdom. Now, how in the world are these 19-year-olds outranking the most educated people in Babylon who are advanced in a number of different areas. When you make a stand for God, expect supernatural assistance. Now they're the smartest ones in the kingdom. And how do they set themselves up to receive this assistance and help from God? They made a stand. They joined the resistance. When you make a stand for God, expect supernatural assistance. Say, when I make a stand for God, I should expect supernatural assistance. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. That's a good thing to put in the chat. When you make a stand for God, you need to expect supernatural assistance. We looked at last week how even when his three friends, by this point, they're 20, 21, thrown into the fiery furnace, the fire couldn't burn them. The king said, if you don't bow, you will burn. But I'm telling you, if you bow, you will burn. But if you don't bow, you can't burn. If you bow to the culture, you're going to burn. Because whatever you bow down to on the way to the top will rule you once you get to the top. But when you make a decision, I stand for God and you get thrown into the fiery furnaces of life because you stood for God. The fire can't touch you. What the fire will do is burn off the stuff that was holding you back in the first place. And when you live that, leave that situation, you don't even smell like smoke. You don't even look like what you've been through. How do they get this supernatural assistance? They made a stand for God. Now notice, when they made a stand for God, they weren't rude about it. They weren't snobby about it. They weren't picking a fight. This is no, this is not what God wants us to do. They had honor, even as they spoke to the king. This is no, we're not going to do what you want us to do, and our God will deliver us. But they still showed honor. Too many times in the church, we get caught up in culture wars, and we act a hot mess with each other and expect God's supernatural assistance. So well, I spoke the truth, but did you say it in love? Did you violate the law of love? We have to do things God's way and not get caught up in the conflict and the drama of the culture. Because conflict and drama is good TV. Keep you glued. 
keeps you watching the news, keeps you voting for a certain political party, whichever side of the aisle you're on. Come on, a lot of drama keeps you donating to their political causes. It's beneficial to keep you offended. It's a money-making business to keep you offended. And if you give into the culture, you'll go from one thing to the next, be offended all the days of your life. Used to be America's only offended every four years. But now it seemed that, now it's not four years, it's like every week something happened. Don't give into the culture. You can disagree strongly and not be offended. When the Bible tells us to forgive, we literally have to forgive everybody, including politicians, whether you like them or not, including CEOs and business people, including your neighbor next door. It didn't say you can hold offense against everybody else but that person. No. That's why I lead you in the confession, we forgive everybody of everything. Offense will shut down your faith and shut down the power of God from working in your life. One of the things you can do to resist the culture is just don't be offended. Just don't. Just just like, you know what? Just don't. And I'll get into it maybe next week. Because there are a lot of things that are wrong in our culture. We know this. You, you get older than 10, you realize some things, right? But just because there are challenges and just because there's problems doesn't mean you let your struggle consume you. Too many times we let the struggle consume us. Yes, there are racists in this nation, but not everybody is a racist. Yes, there are sexists in this nation, but not everybody is sexist. There are some people who are just equal opportunity jerks to everybody. But because of something that happened to you or something you watch, immediately it's like, oh, they're sexist. Oh, they're racist. They're this. And now you're triggered. Now you're offended. Now you're being consumed by your struggle and you see everything through the lens of the struggle instead of the lens of the word of God. You have to be able to fight the good fight and not be offended. You have to be able to pursue justice because you love God and God loves justice but not pursuing justice because you are offended and filled with hate. Both sides of the aisle, donkeys and elephants, will get you offended. But remember, you're supposed to follow the lamb. And any time you put somebody on this earth in the position of Jesus, you are going to get deceived. Not them, you. Because you made them an idol. Christians walking around, well, I don't know what to do if the governor doesn't tell me. Well, I, th I thought you had the Holy Ghost. Well, I don't know what's going to happen if this person gets elected or this person doesn't get elected. Our nation is doomed for... I, 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 I thought y'all had angels. When we start putting these politicians on pedestals they're not supposed to be on, there's a role for government leaders. There's a role for politicians. And the Bible tells us to pray for them. But when you put them in the wrong spot, you open yourself up for deception. And even if they do what's right you don't have the benefit of it because of the decisions you made and the deception that opened up your heart. We have to make sure we're looking at this more than we're looking at everything else.
Ephesians chapter 4. Start with verse 17. Read it from the New Living Translation. It says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Man, that's a word in of itself. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against them. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learn about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let's pause for a second. Paul is not talking to sinners. He's talking to church people, Christians. Now, the Ephesians, the circle letter, going around to multiple churches, but these churches were the ones who were doing right. We call, some people call the letter to the Ephesians about the glorious church. This is a church who really had their stuff together. Now, there are some churches that, you know, had some issues, like the church at Corinth. You know, you can call them Paul's problem church because some stuff he was dealing with them was like, ooh, Lord have mercy. But this is a church, when you compare it to other letters, that was actually living the way they're supposed to live. And Paul is still addressing them on these things. So stop telling lies, he said. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. So that means you can only be angry for less than 24 hours. Being angry is not a sin. Staying in anger and not dealing with it is. And how many times we've seen medical reports about people who don't deal with their anger and what it does to their physical body. See, anger, sometimes we think about sin just affecting spiritual life. There is sin that will destroy your body. And anger is one of them. So, well, if we want to see change, we have to be angry. Angry is a poor fuel. It will get you going a little bit, but corrupt you and destroy you in the process. You may not even see the destination you're pursuing, even if the destination is correct, because the anger destroys you in the process. We pursue justice because the scripture says God loves justice. Not because we're angry and full of offense, but because we're making a stand in this world as a salt in the light. But if you stay in anger, because King James said this way, don't give the enemy a foothold. The word topos is a place. One of my friends is a Greek scholar said it this way. He said, it's, it's one of the ancient words they were used to describe neighborhoods. When you make a decision to stay in anger, you're letting Satan move into your neighborhood. Come on, you're singing to him, won't you be my neighbor? Every time you make a decision to stay in anger, I don't care who it is, your spouse, your child, your grandchild, the president, the former president, the governor, a former governor, whoever, and you make a decision to stay in anger, you're just saying, hey, Satan, won't you be my neighbor? And you wonder why some things are popping off in your life. But that is the song that's on repeat in your heart. 
and you're resisting, but you invited. So you push them out and open the door, come back in, open the door, come back in. You know those old songs when shut the door, keep out the devil? Some of you shut the door and open it, shut the door and open it, shut the door and open it. That your life is in cycles because of decisions you made. And so why won't God deal with it? God's given you everything you need to deal with it. But you pushed them out because you have the authority from Jesus. But you let them back in because you have the authority. If you are a thief, what? Thieves come to church? Verse 28. So let's pause here and talk about dating. Just because they're in church doesn't mean they're a viable candidate. Well, I'm spiritual, so are demons. We need some clarification. You got to ask some questions. And it's easier to get answers from the questions if you're not sleeping with them. Another message, another message. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. I'm just going to say that first part again. Get rid of all bitterness. Because some of you would say, well, I'm not bitter. But you pass off bitterness like it's wisdom. A lot of people's wisdom is actually bitterness with a creative title. So, girl, I'm not saying that's going to happen to you, but this is what happened to me in my 40 years, and so don't get your hopes up. That's bitterness. That's something you haven't healed from yet. Or it's like, no, you can't trust women because that's all they want is your money. Just because you ran into the wrong woman doesn't mean you say that about all women. Could it be possible that we're not seeing the manifestation of God in our lives because we're bitter people? Because anytime you say all this people or all that people, you expose your ignorance. The only thing you really say is all people are people and all people have issues. We're all in need of a savior and his name is Jesus. There's only one perfect person. His name is Jesus. The rest of us need help. We can't stay in bitterness. Yes, what happened to you was unfair. It was unjust. It shouldn't happen. Someone should have protected you. Someone should have intervened. But now we're at a time, I'm not making light of what you went through, but you're past it in time, but you got to get past it in here. Because if you don't get past it in here, you're letting whoever did that to you control your life. And Jesus paid too high of a price for you to be a slave. So what do you have to make a decision to do? You have to make a decision here. I forgive them. I let it go. Well, Pastor, how often do I have to forgive until it doesn't bother you anymore? You can say, well, I forgive. And you walk away five minutes later, you get mad all over you. Nope, I forgave them. I let it go. I forgave them. I let it go. Nope, I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to be controlled by my past because God has a glorious future for me. It doesn't matter what's behind you. 
What's behind you is not powerful enough to control your future. You are a believer, the greater ones on the inside of you. Even if it was you who screwed up your past, God still has a glorious future for you. But you have to make a decision to leave some stuff alone. Come on, you know they're not good for you, so why are you texting them at 1 a.m.? Scripture, scripture, scripture. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So how do we forgive others? The same way Jesus forgave us. Now think about this. He forgave us, and he doesn't bring it up. Ooh. I'll forgive, but I won't forget. I'll forget, but I'm going to remind you every time it suits me. He says, forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. So you forgive and let go. Well, pastor, that's hard. I never said any of this was easy. I never said, all this is easy. Just skip to the flowers of Jesus and I'll be all right. No. It's effort. It's work. And some days it's hard work. But unforgiveness will shut down your faith and will stop the power of God from working in your life. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Just like ch little children copy what their parents do. That's how we should live like God. If God does it, we should do it. We should copy him. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talks, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. 1 Peter 1.15 through 16 says it this way. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or lifestyle. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now that's a tall order. To be holy like the holy one. The one who angels have been flying around him for ages saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's, how many know that's kind of a tall order? It says, be holy like your favorite preacher. So like, no, no, no. Be holy like I am holy. Word holy is set apart. Well, how, well you're like, that's a tall order. Yeah, it is. How do we do that? Go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Let's bring this to a close. 2 Peter chapter 1. Now look at verse 2. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So no matter what you face, there's always more grace and more peace. And it comes from your knowledge and your intimate knowing of God and of Jesus. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us unto glory and virtue. 
So has given. So it's already yours. Everything you need in this life to win and to live godly is already yours. You grab onto it with faith. So whether it's healing, it's already yours. Whether it's provision, it's already yours. If it's wisdom, it's already yours. If it's strength, it's already yours. If it's comfort, it's already yours. If it's encouragement, it's already yours. You're not trying to convince God to give it to you. He says it's yours already. You just take it by faith. You find where the scripture promises it, and you use your faith, and you take it. You know, Mark 11 says, we believe, we receive. Another word for receive is take it. So whatever you need, take it by faith. And so if you take it by faith, you got to change the way you talk. If you're asking God for wisdom, and James chapter 1 tells you how to ask God for wisdom, after you ask for wisdom, guess what you do? You need to start saying, I have wisdom. I know what to do. You got to stop saying or going around saying, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I thought you just asked God for wisdom. Well, pastor, what if someone asks me what I'm going to do? Here's what you say. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but when it's time, I'll know exactly what I need to do. I'll let you know later. Because I still faith in God. If we're really in faith, it affects our vocabulary. We don't talk like everyone else. The world, as a language, is full of death. But we don't talk like them. Well, that killed me. Well, well, mm-mm, mm-mm. Over the last year, I, that's something definitely don't want to say. Oh, that just makes me sick. I'm sorry, I resist sickness. It's like, oh, that's just splitting hairs. Well, I told someone the other day, I try my best to use my words to direct my path. I get that from James, the book of James, where your tongue's like a rudder. And so if I don't want it to happen, I shouldn't be saying it. Just because the world says it doesn't mean I should say what they say. Whereby are given unto us exceeding and great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. One of the ways you can join the resistance and do all these things that seem very hard to do on our own is by the promises of God. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 8 very quickly. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6. It's through the promises of God. Let's look at one real quick as I close. Is this helping anybody today? Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, he being Jesus, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. We quoted this earlier. For if that first covenant would have been faultless, there should have been no place for sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord, for this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I'll put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, 
from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. This is your covenant. Now, well, how do I do all these things? Because you have a covenant promise of God being with you. And the helper, the Holy Spirit himself, lives within you and dwells with you. And if you ask him to, he'll rest upon you. And through your relationship with him, you are able to resist the culture and live the way you should. Where your focus should not be on behavior modification, but your focus should be on him. Galatians 5.16 says it this way, this I say then, walk or live in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Live in relationship with Jesus. Talk to him, be honest with him. Stop hearing all these fake prayers. Be honest. Look, Jesus, I need help today. Because if I don't receive help, you already know how messed up I can be. I need your help as I drive on 20 and 285 so I don't tell that person driving that they're number one. I need help with my coworker who talks way too much on the Zoom call. I need help with my family member. This is real. It's funny. But it's, it's funny because it's real. But if you ask him for that help, he'll give it to you. And then you can ask him, some of y'all just really have to get, help me not to call that person I should have stopped talking to a couple years ago. Because every time you talk to them, something happens that night and you repent the next day. Now there's children in the room, so y'all get what I'm saying. You could ask him for your help, for his help, and then you know what? Help yourself and delete their number. And enable the ministry of Balak. Balak that number. Stop following them on social media. Make us. See, some of you follow exes on social media and make yourself upset because they're enjoying their life. And now you're bitter and angry. Why are you doing that to yourself? You're making it hard for you to live holy. I am out of time already. I am out of time, Jesus. Lord have mercy. Yeah, part two is coming next week. <laughs> Don't make it hard for yourself to live holy. Do you know how you help yourself live holy? Set boundaries. Not everybody has access to you. And you don't watch everything. But I'm under grace. Just because you're under grace doesn't mean you should be stupid. Stand to your feet because I, I won't cut off. God is with you. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe 
believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.